Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. The Bible very clearly paints a picture of God as a loving creator. Of course, we know he's a savior who cares for everybody. But at the same time, the Bible also presents us with a picture of a day of judgment where God punishes unbelievers and he he banishes them to a place of everlasting torment. And so this seems like a contradiction. And a lot of people have pointed this out and they have asked the question, how can a supposedly loving God torture people for eternity just because they don't have the right beliefs? Doesn't that by definition, isn't that cruel and, and unloving? Let's take a look at this uh, from the context of faith. So I'm not going to be talking to atheists, I'm, although what I have to say may be helpful. But we're going to start from the premise. It's not our job to judge God. He's the one who judges us. So we're going to humbly submit to God. Now, to understand God, you have to look at the whole of Scripture. No, don't just pick a few places and don't just pick a few places in the Old Testament. You have to read um, the whole Bible and especially ending with the New Testament. And, of course, Jesus Christ is the supreme revelation of God. And when you look at Jesus Christ in the Gospels, he does actually talk about judgment to come. But we do get the distinct understanding he is a God of love, mercy, compassion. He reaches out to the sinners, to the hurting, and so forth. So we're going to start with the understanding, number one, God is love. That's his fundamental identity and character that God is a God of mercy, which means that even though somebody might deserve punishment, he's willing to extend uh, a second chance or hope, forgiveness. Um, and But also he's a God of justice. In the end, he's going to do what's right and what's fair. He can't ignore sin or excuse sin because it's contrary to his nature. So let's look at it from this perspective. God is the source of life. He's the source of all goodness. James says every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father. He's the source of all grace. He created us as humans to have fellowship with him. He did not create us with sin, but he created us in, in his image, which means we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to think for ourselves. We have a moral nature. And unlike the plants and animals and all the rest of his creation, Humans, and I would also say angels, although we really know very little about them, but he created us in his image, meaning his spiritual, moral, intellectual likeness, so that we have the ability to choose. Now, in God's plan, he wanted people who would be in a relationship of mutual love. Well, in order to have love, there must be choice. If love is forced, it's, it's not love. So you can have a puppet that you can pull the strings and the puppet will hug you. And if you want to call that love, that's fine. But that's not love. In order for us to have a loving relation with God, he had to give us a free will, power to choose, as we see the story of Adam and Eve. Now, here's the problem. If you have power to choose, that means you have the power to make a wrong choice. 
you have the power to go against God's will. By definition, that's sin. Now, God, when we talk about sin, it's not that just God arbitrarily says, you know what? I'm going to put some things off limits, some nice things. There will be a lot of fun. I'm going to put them off limits and just punish you. No, sin is sin because it's contrary to God's will, which means it's destructive. It's bad for us. So sin destroys us. The reason why God hates sin is it's contrary to his nature and it's destructive of his creation. God is holy. Just as he is love, he is also holy. And that means he cannot love sin. He cannot love something that's contrary to himself. You know, God, you know, God can do all things in the sense of miracles, but God can't deny himself. God can't be contrary to himself. God cannot be a sinner because that's contrary to his own nature. So uh, that means God cannot have fellowship with sin. So here we are in, in a loving relation with God. So because God is our source of life, we have life, love, joy, peace, grace, every good and perfect gift. But when we choose sin, we break the fellowship with the Holy God. Well, that means we no longer are connected to the source of life, love, joy, peace, grace. So it's like you've got electricity in the room, but you turn off the switch or you unplug the cord. Now you don't have access to the power. God is not the one who chose that. We chose that. But think of it. If God is a source of life and we unplug from the source of life, what, what are we left with? Death. Now, death, by definition, is separation. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they broke fellowship with God, which you can see that in the Garden of Eden. They didn't immediately die physically, but they did die spiritually. And the process of decay began in their bodies. It would eventually lead to physical death. So the consequence of sin, it's separation from God. So you're separated from the source of life. You're going to face the loss of fellowship, spiritual death. You're going to eventually face physical death. And then after that, eternal death, eternal separation from the presence of God. Now, the Bible describes that variously as the lake of fire, as outer darkness. It uses other illustrations or analogies. I don't think we can truly comprehend it. I believe hell is a real place, but it's not a place where God tortures people. And all the little images of, uh, of demons poking people with pitchforks and roasting them over a spit, you know, let's banish that. It's Hell or the lake of fire means the absence of God. So what's going to make hell hell is for the first time we'll be cut off from the source of all life and all goodness. I would argue that today, even an atheist enjoys the goodness of God, the grace of God, because every joy, every love, every part of life that we participate in, it's, it's because of God. So what will happen in the lake of fire is for the first time, we, we as humans will be cut off from all of that. We don't know what that's like. I think that's what Jesus experienced on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The spirit of God did not actually leave him until the moment of death because he was God manifest in the flesh. But the spirit of God did not shield his human self, his human body and human identity. So he actually felt like a sinner would feel in the lake of fire. So my point in all of this is God does not send anybody to hell. But a person's choice of sin puts them outside relationship with God. And that's all it's left. When you cut yourself off from life, what you have is death. Now it's an eternal death. So the first thing is 
God does not send anyone to hell. It's people's choice puts them there. God does not torture anyone, but people's choice puts them outside of grace and goodness and life. Well, they have whatever's left. Now, that still may seem horrible to us to imagine, and it is, which is why we need to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. But if we feel it's unjust, we, we must remember God is the definition of justice. We have no right to question God. I will say, however, I do believe our sense of justice ultimately derives from God. So if we feel uncomfortable with something, there, that may be an indication there's more to the story. Now, I'll just say over history, many different churches have tried to find some ways to mitigate what seems to be the awfulness of eternity without God. I don't think we can mitigate it, but just to, so you'll know, you know, the Roman Catholic Church teaches you must be baptized to be saved. Even infants must be baptized. Well, what if an infant's not baptized? Well, they came up with this idea of limbo where there's neither pleasure nor pain. Um, and then what about people that are believers in some sense, yet they live a sinful life? Well, the Catholic Church came up with purgatory. Well, they may have to spend thousands of years in purgatory, but eventually they can be saved. Uh, other people have come up with the doctrine of annihilation, uh, which means uh, once you're judged and then after the judgment, you're just wiped out. You don't exist anymore. Or maybe soul sleep where you're, you're not you're not saved, not in the presence of God, but you're just kind of not experiencing anything. Or some will say, well, well, some people go to the new Jerusalem or the new heaven. Others will go to the new earth. And so there are different ways of trying to say, could there be some mitigation? Well, the problem with all these is there's no clear scriptural teaching. So my personal view is, is I would rather say this. God is merciful. God is just. He will always do what's right. If there are any special or unusual circumstances, I just trust God. So what happens to small children that die without being born again? I personally believe God has a plan for them which is, is gracious, but, and I do see some indication in Scripture, but there's no clear teaching. So rather than come up with a comprehensive doctrine, well, all these little kids that die will go to the new earth, or, or, or they go to limbo, or they go, I would just rather say, you know what? I trust God. I'm not going to judge God. There's more I don't know than I do know about heaven, hell, and eternal life, and God's plan, but I do trust. Now, there's some interesting indications. I'd like to read this to you, just to show you there's more that we don't know than what we do know. So let's not stand in judgment over God when we don't really know what we're talking about. Uh, not only do we not have the right to judge him, we don't have enough knowledge. In Matthew 10, verse 40, through 42. He that receiveth you receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So I, I do believe there are going to be re different rewards for people. There's scripture for that. And uh, maybe it will be in the millennial kingdom. I don't know. Uh, but I believe the saved will be saved. But here he goes to the point of even if you give a cup of cold water to a child just in the name of a disciple, you won't lose your reward. Well, there are a lot of good people who've done a lot of good things for, for humanity, for the church. But to our understanding, they're not saved. Is there an eternity 
Will everyone just be thrown in the same exact category, or will there be different types of judgment and severity of judgment? For instance, when the Nazis threw Jews into concentration camps, death camps, many of these people didn't know Jesus Christ, didn't believe on Jesus Christ. They did cry out to the one God of Israel, and then they were killed. They were thrown into the incinerator. Do I have to say that the Nazi who deliberately killed thousands of Jews is going to have exactly the same eternal um, experience as the Jew who in their dying moments cried out, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I'm not prepared to say that either one is saved without the gospel of Jesus Christ, without the new birth. But can there be a different type of experience although not considered salvation, although considered eternity without God, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be the same exactly? Well, this scripture seems to indicate if you did some good things, that you can't be saved by your works, but God can take into account everyone's individual um, life and response. How he's going to do that, I really don't know. But I'm prepared to say, I think God is fair. I just trust God. Here's another example. Luke uh, 12, 47 through 48. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. So there indicates that there will be a judgment based on knowledge and response. I don't think that means people get saved without knowing Jesus, without obeying the gospel. But I do think God takes all these things into account in the judgment. And for some knowing the truth and deliberately rejecting it, that itself, the, um, the mental agony will be an additional punishment. Uh, but is that the only way that takes place? I don't really know, uh, but I do think we're wise not to accuse God of torturing people or being unfair to people, being unjust to people. If anything, he's going to be more fair than we are. I'd rather fall, like David said, don't let me fall in the hands of men, let me fall in the hands of God. Right. So I'd rather God figure out my eternity than you or somebody else. Uh, so I do think uh, it's, it, uh, please understand in, in no way am I undermining the gospel or the new birth, but I'm, I am suggesting that eternity is going to be, uh, is, is such an awful reality without God, but it goes so far beyond our comprehension that I think we can just safely say everybody who's saved, it's going to be by the grace of God. And everybody who's lost, it's because they rejected the grace of God and they put themselves outside the source of life. And so God ultimately gives them what they chose. God respects their will and he gives them what they have chosen ultimately. Uh, so God is being fair and God has extended mercy. In fact, Titus 2.11 says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everyone. And I believe that's very true in Romans 1. Everyone has a witness in creation. Romans 2, everyone has a witness in conscience. If they would follow that witness, God would lead them 
to a place where they can be saved, like as we find the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. So that's a brief uh, summary of my understanding uh, that we, at the end of the day, we trust that God is gracious, just, and merciful. I will say one more thing. While it's awful to contemplate judgment, really, if we believe in right and wrong, there has to be this concept because people do evil and get away with it and reward it in this life. If this life is the ultimate, then there are many injustices of the most serious nature that are never righted. There has to be a judgment to come in order for justice to prevail throughout the universe. Talk about the Nazis. Talk about the communists. Well, they were defeated, but many of them lived life of, lives of luxury and died in their beds peaceably, and they were responsible for killing millions of people. They're child molesters, and uh, you, you just go on and on. But they got away with murder, literally. And so if there's not a judgment, then there's no justice in the universe. So even though it's hard to contemplate, We have to believe that eventually justice will prevail. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. Finally, join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.